the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. I am Seth Liebson coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by our veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Young David, good to have you uh, sitting in as producer, as always. And I say that not... Mm -hmm. Yes, well, I, I say it not to be repetitive. I say it because today is Employee Appreciation Day. Did you know that, Mr. Bill? You knew it. Because why? We got a message from the CEO is why. You got the message from the CEO. I, I did. Did you not? Well, yes, of course. That's how I knew. Oh, <laughs> yeah. good. Yes, good, yes. Yeah. We all, we're all still employed here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Seth, yeah, anything yeah. you want to tell me? No, no, no. We're all still employed here. And he starts off by saying that he doesn't particularly like the idea of an employee appreciation day. I would say I'm 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 effectively neutral on the point. It's a new thing. It was started in the 1990s, I believe. Well, isn't his argument that uh, every day should be employee appreciation? Well, day? yes, of course. Um, and I want to take it a step further because a big passion of mine has been the issue of employment and the ethic and virtue of work. Um crushed and attempted to be snuffed out by the government, not only in ongoing quotidian regulations, but also tax policy and certainly throughout COVID. There seems to be a war against work, and there seems to be a war against employment. We now are at record levels of able-bodied men in their prime working years, roughly ages 24 to mid-50s, that Nick Eberstadt has written about, who simply are absent from the workforce. And they're not counted in the unemployment numbers because unemployment only counts those seeking work. They're not even seeking work. They're mostly sitting at home, mostly in basements, mostly spending time on entertainment screens and millions of them addicted to painkillers. They're anesthetizing themselves and they are engaged in recreation and they can make it by for two reasons. One, they're living off someone else, often a parent. Two, they're living off government subvention. There is enough government uh, welfare type aid and assistance available to these men through disability, welfare, other things, through local, state, and federal checks that allows them to subsist, which is not the same thing as exist. Yes, I suppose in a way it's existing, but that allows them to just get by, to just, you know, wake up, entertain themselves, occupy themselves, but not in an occupation, 
not in anything that helps their community's economic growth and not anything that helps their fundamental adulthood growth. There's an old poem by uh, Edgar Guest. He was kind of the people's poet for many years. You, many of you know his work. Uh, I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. You know that from Edgar Guest. How do you tackle your work each day? Are you scared of the job you find? Do you grapple the task that comes your way with a confident and easy mind? Do you stand right up to the work ahead or fearfully pause to view it? Do you start to toil with a sense of dread or feel that you are going to do it? You can do as much as you think you can, but you'll never accomplish more. If you're afraid of yourself, young man, there's little for you in store. For failure comes from the inside first if there it's there if we only knew it and you can win though you face the worst if you feel that you're going to do it success it's found in the soul of you and not in the realm of luck the world will furnish the work to do but you must provide the pluck you can do whatever you think you can it's all in the way you view it it's all in the start you make young man you must feel that you're going to do it How do you tackle your work each day with confidence, clear, or dread? What to yourself do you do? Do you stop and say when a new task lies ahead? What is the thought that is in your mind? Is fear ever running through it? If so, just tackle the next you find by thinking you're going to do it. Now, I was seized by that poem of Edgar Guest, not just because it's Edgar Guest, but it dawns on me and all the people I know who have built successful careers, there's a line in there that speaks to what they've done, what their ethic has been, what their belief has been. If you're afraid of yourself, young man, there's little for you in store. That's the line I seized on. If you're afraid of yourself, there's little for you in store. And I can tell you any number of success stories of people who did wonderful, went on to do wonderful things in their careers because they simply weren't afraid of what was in store. I can say it, and this is being Employee Appreciation Day, you know, for all the fun we have with David, young David at his expense, um, I appreciate him tremendously. And I think everyone, I hope everyone knows that. If they don't, let me say it very clearly. Uh, the, the teasing is in, is in love and fun. But I have to tell you about young David. Um, This is a remarkable young man who is probably just under that statistical um, prime working age that the government identifies, just about a year or two younger than that, who uh, comes to us from uh, college, works in advertising, but really misses the what really, you know, esteems the notion of getting into radio more than just the selling of it and the selling of air. Wasn't that what Billy Crystal did or when one of the, one of them sold air? It, it was the other guy, right? I can't think of his name. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, you're, you're doing your part. I just can't. I can't think of his name. But anyway, um, so he wanted to do more of the radio part. But, you know. There wasn't an opening in radio. <laughs> there wasn't a, a blank moment, uh, a, bl- a, a blank, uh, a, a, you know, an empty slot for a show. 
So he decided he would like to learn how to become an engineer, nothing he ever studied for. And it's complicated as hell. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you I mean, you're, what, you, what he is sitting in front of looks like, you know, it looks like the front of an airplane. It looks like it. It looks like what I mean. There are a million. You and Bill, I have no idea how you do this. I have been in radio almost twenty years. I guess twenty years actually, and I have no idea. I have no idea how to turn this show on. I have no idea how to turn it off. I mean, what you and Bill are able to do here with these consoles um, is nothing short of incredible. And what you've learned to be able to do with it, um, David just simply wasn't afraid. He said, "Teach me, I'll learn." And he had great teachers. Bill primarily was his teacher on this. And, um, you know, now he is in radio and even does get on air once in a while when he has uh, something absurd to say. Absurd. So anyway, um, let me say how much I appreciate you, A. B, let me uh, also just say how much, um, you know, I think Employee Appreciation Day is going to come and go, you know, like... The donuts that a lot of bosses brought their employees or the flowers that a lot of, you know, employees received today from their employers, they'll come and go or they'll die soon. There's something much more important about work, though, that I would like to drive at um, and something much more important about what the government does with it. Yes, the part that's good for the soul. Yes, the part that's good for the economy. But equally true, the part that's important for young men. We were talking about, we often talk about the problem young men face in society and the challenges to young men and the challenges to the whole notion of what a man is and this phrase toxic masculinity, which has infected so much of us these days or so much of society these days. Work relates to all of that. Good, hard work ethics relate to all of that. And that's what we're going to spend a little time talking about. So uh, I am Seth Leapson, and we will be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. On this Employee Appreciation Day, we're going a little deeper on the meaning of work, the meaning of employment. Um, when it comes to tax policy, I thought uh, – my old boss, Jack Kemp, had a good truism, and he said, you can't make life easier on the employee class by making it more difficult on the employer class. And I always kind of thought that ought to be emblazoned above the fireplace in the White House. Presidents ought to remember that. You can't make things easier on the employee class by making things harder in the employer class. In his book of man... William Bennett's, uh, I think it's his best book. I, I know the Book of Virtues is the big one, but it's the biggest of them. But I think the Book of Man is, is really even better, if I might. Um, it, he, he has it in several sections, Man at Play, Man at you know, War, Man at Rest, Man at Leisure, that kind of stuff. But he has a section called Man at Work. On September 7, 1903, in the middle of economic panic on Wall Street, President Theodore Roosevelt addressed an anxious crowd at the Labor Day Parade in Syracuse, New York. Facing a looming depression, Roosevelt spoke on what he knew best, inspiring the workers of America, quote, far and away the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing, 
said Roosevelt. His words still echo today. Work, if pursued correctly, can be one of the most rewarding and fulfilling activities a man can undertake. Whether it is earning a living for our families and ourselves, taking out the trash or doing homework, work occupies much of our waking lives. Yet we seldom stop to ask ourselves what our occupation means to us or why we do it. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you do for work? How you answer these questions may determine how you will spend much of your life. As men mature, school can become harder and the work week gets longer. Soon enough, we all learn work is a necessary, unavoidable part of life. It does not stop on the weekend, when the school bell rings, or even at retirement. The early English settlers of Jamestown, Virginia, learned this the hard way when they decided not to do their share of work for the colony. To solve the problem, Captain John Smith, their leader, made a new rule. If you don't work, you don't eat. The men's perspective changed very quickly. Some of you have heard of that story through the Little Red Hen, right? No work, no eat. The attitude you take in your approach to work is vital. Often your job will be tedious, burdensome, and primarily serve the interests of someone else. The more time you spend working, the less time you have for playing, and it becomes easy to live for the weekend. Vacation and recreation become the escape from work. The thought of such a reward enables many a man to endure long and grueling days in an occupation he dislikes. As is often the case, life can become separated between livelihood and leisure. In one, man receives money for his efforts. In the other, he receives satisfaction from his earnings. The two are both dependent on each other, but we act as if they are two separate worlds, the work week and the weekend. Why not search for a life that connects both? What Aristotle would call the ideal life. Here's one test. When you think of what brings you happiness, do you think of work or do you think of leisure activities such as hobbies or recreations? And why can it not be both? Eric Liddell, Scottish Scottish athlete who won the men's 400 meters in the 1924 Summer Olympics, Chariots of Fire. You know the quote, Bill? You do. When I run, I feel God's when pleasure. I run, yeah, I feel God's pleasure. <laughs> yeah. After the Olympics, Liddell returned to his work as a missionary in China, one of the greatest sacrifices a man can make through work. In a telling confish- confession, the Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw once said, the harder I work, the more I live. The reward for work can go far beyond the paycheck, and there is much satisfaction to be found in a job well done. Aristotle observed that pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. A worthy goal is to find the same type of enjoyment in your life's labors. Remember the word vocation comes from the Latin root to call, as in vocal, right? To call. Your calling is your life's work. It can be done enthusiastically or carelessly, cheerfully or grudgingly. Approached the right way, a man's labor can be both his vocation and his avocation. Done improperly, his work can be what philosopher Leo Strauss deemed a joyless quest for joy. How many people do you know are in that world? A joyless quest for joy. Yeah. Yeah. It's up to you. Your occupation can be a means to an end or it can be an end in itself. The lesson here is to find something you love to do, whatever it might be, and do it to the best of your ability. Parents often tell kids to get good grades, go to good school, get a good job, but it is that the, but is that really the best advice you can give? Is that the best advice to give? 
go to a good school and get a good job, is it? Not every student is the next Rhodes Scholar, nor wants to be. Not every man is the next Bill Gates, let us say, or Elon Musk, nor wants to be. Different people are attracted to different types of work. Not saying to lower your expectations. Instead of saying, be the best at what you love and don't let image status or jealousy steer you away from that. Every calling is great, said Oliver Wendell Holmes, when greatly pursued. That being said, sometimes, even often, people have to choose work they don't enjoy to accomplish other worthy ends. I want to come back on that point. This is really important, young David, Mr. Bill. This is super important. People have to choose work they don't enjoy to accomplish other worthy ends. Fathers and mothers clean offices, drive cabs at nights, at night, take in sewing and take other second jobs so they can provide for their family or send a child through college. And for young people, often your first job is not going to be something you necessarily love or want to do for its own sake, but it ought to be a step toward a job you'll enjoy. Often the long-term goal of the job you really love is reached by taking a few jobs you know you're not going to love. My first job, well, my first job was, was why are you laughing? I, didn't you, uh, weren't you a waiter at a Greek restaurant? That was my second. Second. Job. What's my, number one? My first job was cleaning up kind of like a janitor at a dry cleaners in town. Still around. Still family owned dry cleaners. I would walk there after school and kind of mop up. Minimum wage, three thirty-five an hour. And then I was a waiter. Uh, I was a waiter with the Sonnises. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard the story. Yeah. yeah. Who, am I still friendly with anyone else I was waiting with at those days? I don't think I am. Yeah, I, I think we've all moved on. But after grad school, I was probably the most credentialed grade-wise, graduate degree in hand. I worked in a mailroom. I worked in a mailroom. Anyway, I have a lot more to say about this. We're going to get to the manly part, the man part, manhood part about this in a moment. The obvious one, yeah. I already gave you one nine to five. This is the second nine to five. Yeah. Actually, this is the first nine to five. This is the original. Yeah. I've told you about that, right? Yeah. How Sheena Easton's song was called nine to five. Yeah. But they had to change the name to yeah. Morning Train when it came over to the U.S. because this was a bigger hit. I know. But Morning Train is prominent in Seinfeld, isn't it? Yeah. Welcome back. I'm Seth Leapson. We're talking about the ethos of work. We're going to get to the manhood part of it in a moment. Remember no matter, I was reading from Bill Bennett's book of man, remember no matter the job, no matter the calling, there can be purpose in it. Jimmy Buffett, the hardworking singer of songs about leisure, funny enough, right? That's what he was known for, has a song called It's My Job, the chorus of which runs, it's my job to be better than the rest and that makes the day for me. Singer, songwriter, trucker, physician, attorney, trash collector, carpenter, you name it, there is or can be meaning in our work. Chim Chimney from Mary Poppins, right? Um, and our, I will not be playing that one. Okay, but why? Chim Chim Cheree, Chim Chim Cheroo. Yeah. It's about the joy they get as chimney sweeps. Um, also, I guess Art Carney had a song about working in the sewers, if I'm not mistaken, from the Honeymooners. Can't say I recall it. Yeah. Needless to say, one area we often neglect is manual labor, hard physical labor. It's what men did for many centuries. Some still do. 
Before the Industrial Revolution, almost all work was physical work, but since the inventions of the assembly line, robotics and computers, man finds himself being modernized, drawn away from open-air fields and shops and more into offices and cubicles. Is it good? I don't know. What's changed, too, is that a majority of today's workforce has shifted to what we call a knowledge-based economy. But that does not mean that blue-collar work is in any way mindless or not knowledge-based or enervating, while white-collar work is, I don't know, of some form of credentialed intellectualism. George Orwell once said in retrospect, almost prophetically, cease to use your hand excuse me, cease to use your hands and you have lopped off a huge chunk of your consciousness. You like that? Cease to use your hands and you have lopped off a huge chunk of your consciousness. Despite what popular culture might convey, we all know there is something intrinsically satisfying in being able to plant your own garden, repair your own house, and fix your own car. Recently, a friend of Bill's was recovering. He writes from life-threatening cancer. His doctor told him that he could not work, exercise, or enjoy the other fruits of life, all things that men pride themselves on. When Bill asked him what hurts the most to be without, he said, work. I just don't feel like a man. Work has more to do with me being a man than sex or muscle. The truth is that work satisfies more than just material needs. It quenches an innate yearning for order, importance, and regularity. French writer Albert Camus believed that without work, all life goes rotten, but when work is soulless, life stifles and dies. Find fulfillment and enjoyment in your work, not aside from it. That's the message from the Book of Man before it goes into the stories about work. Now, young David, I wanted to return to a point. Okay. Before we get into what you wanted to do with, who was it, Dorothy Sayers? Dorothy Sayers. Yeah, we'll get to her in a Perhaps in the next segment. Yeah, maybe in the next segment. Because, and I would love your take on this, um, choosing work that you don't enjoy to accomplish other worthy ends. I take a slight departure from some of this, and maybe it's not a departure, but a footnote. I don't agree with the college commencement advice that find what you love to do and pursue it to make that your profession. Because, of course, that would lead to an awful lot of disappointed, I don't know, people, especially in the athletic realm. I may like playing basketball. I'm not going to be a professional basketball. I'm not going to make that my work. Not everyone loves their job. That's not the point here. You don't have to love your job. You have to be lovable and love how you do your job. We'll be right back. Oh, dear. Yeah. Is that the Pointer (laughs) Sisters? No, this is Donna Sowers. Oh, I hate this song. I knew you would. Do you like it? Hard for Not your really. Money? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I would have gotten down in the club in 1983 yeah, when this came down. You totally though. would have. You would have loved, what was the club in New York? Club the, Studio 54. Studio 54. You, you would know, have, we have a, a co-worker that used to haunt that place very often. Come on. Oh, yeah. 
Who? Oh, yeah. We have a coworker that was a Studio 54 attendee. Oh, you, you've never seen the pictures of our friend Lisa in her younger days, have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Studio 54. Yeah. Did she get trampled on a lot? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I could see That's she, not very fair of I you could, to say. It's totally fair because it's totally accurate. She uses an emery board to go surfing. What, what was that you were saying earlier today? What? We had another colleague, yeah. and you said, uh, oh, I didn't realize there were elves walking around the office. And you said that was racist, and elvism is not a race. Elf, elves aren't races? No. Have you never consulted Tolkien? Okay, obviously. It might maybe, be an ADA violation, yes, but that's it's not. What I was about to say. Not. Maybe I misspoke. Maybe it's heightist. <laughs> there we go. He is elfin. It's, it was meant as a compliment. Isn't the word elfin complimentary? Just because God blessed you with being taller than the rest of the office. It has nothing to do with that. I'm not taller. I'm average. I'm in the middle. You're I'm, average? Does I, that mean that the rest of us are If I committed a crime and average. someone witnessed it and the cops said, what can you tell us about him? They'd say, you know, average height. I think. Average height. Not tall. I'm middle. You Goodness. keep making me tall and old when I'm just Seth in the middle. Seth in the middle. Were you not here you. for th- All right. Talk to us about Dorothy Sayers. Well, I wanted to bring this up for you to consult a Christian perspective on work. Yep. This essay, Why Work, was released while Britain was at war. Mm-hmm. And it, in regard to the questions that were coming out, much like came out during the pandemic of what happens when things go back to normal. In this case, it was a lot about um, supply and rationing and what happens when, as a society, we've all come together and said that all of our excess is going to be given to the war effort. What happens then? In the case of the pandemic, though, it may have been quite the opposite. And when, (laughs) after all, we were given an excess of goodies Yeah. Uncle Sam during the yeah. COVID pandemic. Well, they paid people not to work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They endowed not working. So I'd like to give you a Christian perspective sure. of work from Go Dorothy ahead. Sayers. Okay. And I'm quoting her directly. All right. What is the Christian understanding of work? I should like to put before you two or three propositions arising out of doctrinal position, which I stated at the beginning. Namely, that work is the natural exercise and function of man, the creature who is made in the image of his creator. You will find that any of them, if given in effect everyday practice, is so revolutionary as compared with the habits of thinking into which we have fallen, as to make all political revolutions look like conformity. The first, stated quite briefly, is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction and the medium in which he offers himself to God. I don't know about you, but I find that quite powerful. If, yeah, if it's about the joy and what were the what were the what was the the tricolon she used there? What was the, it? Should be the, the full list expression of, three? of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction. If in the effort of it, if in the effort of it, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that they enjoy going to work because their work is their life's passion. It, this, is, this, is, this is not something to be depressed about. 
if you wanted to become a basketball player and didn't make the NBA, so you ended up, you know, doing something else worthy and worthwhile. Let me let me try it this way. Let me try it this way. Um, for millions of Americans during COVID, particularly, we destroyed the work ethic. We we simply destroyed it. And there's a lot of people that you know, not only were silently quitting. Uh, when they did go to work, but they were taught that work wasn't that important, just as we taught people school wasn't that important. After centuries of telling people school was so important, we were going to mandate it. We suggested our concerns here on the show at the time um, because those concerns now still drive retail problems that we haven't fully come to grips with and customer service problems. Perhaps I could read a bit more of hers okay. in relation right. to what you're bringing up. Okay, okay. What most of us demand from society is that we should always get out of it a little more than the value of the labor we give to it. By this process, we persuade ourselves that society is always in our debt, a conviction that not only piles up actual financial burdens, but leaves us with a grudge against society. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's the idea that we are owed something yeah. for our time. Yeah, that's interesting. That by the grace of God, we've been given breath in this land between the shining seas and that we are owed something to be living here. Yeah, it's a yeah, I take the point of the of the giving back, but think about what government mandated work stoppages mean. Usually when there's unemployment, government is doing everything it can to um to juice employment, right? Um now we all know there's a substrat of people that just don't want to work. You know, they'd rather take government money than work. And that'll probably always be with us. It's not the majority. Men generally want to and need to work. It's a virtue. Um, John Witherspoon, you know John Witherspoon? Interesting man, signer of the Declaration of Independence. Had a famous student at uh, the College of New Jersey later to become Princeton. That student's name was James Madison. And John Witherspoon had a great line. And I think he was – there's something religious about him that's unique. Uh, John Witherspoon was the only – I think he was the only Presbyterian to sign the Declaration of Independence. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. You want his quote? Do not live useless and die contemptible. That would be better college advice than most of the – the only active clergyman and yeah. the only college president to yeah. sign the declaration. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Do not live useless and die contemptible. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They are headquartered here locally. You can visit them. They encourage that. They're right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. I've been there any number of times. You won't get a sales pitch, and you won't be asked to sign anything if you go and visit with them. You can also check them out online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. You can also call them, 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFY, or the numbers that correspond to those letters, and then 24. What they offer is an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio where you get a monthly statement without any surprises, where there is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back, where you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, where there are absolutely 
no fees. And best of all, where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Why refi? Invest com. As Dr. Bennett put it, ours is a country of men and women who began with little but a willingness to work and save and make good. John Locke, you know of John Locke, he made a great case for modern industriousness in his second treatise on government. He wrote, quote, God gave the world to men in common, but since he gave it them for their benefit and the greatest conveniences of life, they were capable to draw from it. It cannot be supposed he meant it should always remain common and uncultivated. He gave it to the use of the industrious and rational, and labor was to be his title to it not to the fancy or covetousness of the quarrelsome and contentious. He that had as good left for his improvement as was already taken up needed not complain, ought not to meddle with what was already improved by another's labor. If he did, it is plain he desired the benefit of another man's pains, which he had no right to, and not the ground which God had given him in common with others to labor on and whereof there was as good left as that already possessed, and more than he knew what to do with, or his industry could reach to. If our children are to grow up to be among the industrious and rational and not the covetous or quarrelsome, they must be raised with an appreciation of the importance of work, and kids want to do it. It is a natural inclination. It was unnatural that we crushed it. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.